Welcome into the Invest Well Show. I'm your host, Michael Wall, joined today with a terrific guest, Meringue Pack. Listen, a lot of times as we're making money, as you grow your wealth, as you grow your income, the question becomes, how can I save significant dollars in taxes? Remember, it's all about not about how much you make, but it's about how much you keep. That's exactly right. So today on the show, we're going to talk about significant. I mean, huge. You've heard that word said in the past tax deductions from conservation easements. How do you participate? What are they? Do they make sense for you? All unpacked today on the Invest Well Show. All right, so we're joined today with, again, Meringue Pack. Meringue is a stud. I've met this guy. Not only is he a man of faith, man of integrity, but he's had an interesting career. Meringue, you have actually had a 23-year career at the FBI. And first, let me just say, thanks for joining us on the show today. Oh, great. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you. Absolutely. So let's talk about this. You are the uh, CEO of Envia Capital. And we're going to unpack today the idea of conservation easements. Uh, You've been in the space. You've researched these. Uh, you were part of Global Risk Advisors in the past as well, kind of looking at the back end of these. But before you jumped into the easement space and before you jumped into researching this space, which has provided significant tax dollars, I mean, I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars saved for people over the years or more, sometimes millions, depending on income. Uh, before you got into that, you had a 23 year career with the FBI. I did. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that. How did you, sure. how did that all happen? What were some of your, not all the details and nicks and crannies, but what, what was kind of your experience like there? What were some of your department divisions, titles, et cetera? Sure. No, um, I, you know, I still can't believe I had a 23 year career with the FBI. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was pr- privileged enough to be a part of a great organization and uh, I started in 1996, went to Quantico for 16 weeks, and then uh, ended up in Washington, D.C. area as my first uh, field office, uh, working Asian Organized Crime Matters. Hmm. And, um, you know, uh, I think uh, I asked them, hey, wh- why Asian Organized Crime? And they looked at me and said, why do you think? <laughs> <laughs> so, no, it was, it was great being a field agent working Asian Organized Crime. And then, uh, and then I went to headquarters to program manage within the, uh, again, the organized crime um, division, Mm -hmm. Um, really program managing LCN and Italian organized crime cases uh, nationwide, just helping from the headquarters standpoint. Okay. And then uh, two years of that, I actually came down here to South Florida, um, and it was tremendous work down here. Miami Vice style. Well, you know, I, I, I won't <laughs> say Miami Vice, but uh, but yeah, I, it was. It, I work with some tremendous people. That's what mm. the best thing about the FBI is the people that you get to work with. Mm. And so I work with some tremendous people down here um, in different arenas. Um, you know, mainly counterterrorism, mm-hmm. and then uh, kind of running the regional undercover program down here. Okay. And so then, when you finally retired after your 23-year career, you were where yeah. position where, and what was your title then? Sure. Uh, I went to my final position with the bureau was the assistant special agent in charge okay. uh, in Atlanta. Okay. And uh, so I was part of the executive staff there in Atlanta. Um, again, counterterrorism, and then responsible for all the specialty squads that supported operations. Mm-hmm. And uh, retired from there in December of um, 
gosh, it's almost been two, two, two and a half years now. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. And hey, by the way, a little kind of side plug. We're going to have a, a more in-depth interview on some of those things on the Michael Wall Show. Many of you may know I have another show talking about Meringue's story and the FBI and kind of uh, what all that looked like. So if you want to tune into that, check over there on the other podcast. But Meringue, let's jump into uh, the easement structure because that's sure. really why people are here today. You know, people are in a place where they – you know, the old American dream. Hey, let's make more money. Um, maybe they start to figure some things out and they go from 200000 a year to 300000 a year, 500000 a year to a million a year. To, to, to we have clients uh, personally actually on the uh, wearing my other hat under U.S. private wealth and wall private wealth making five, six, eight, ten million dollars a year or more. And one of the biggest challenges for a lot of people is how can we save money in taxes? Now, we've been, we've been utilizing some of the structure for years and years and years, and obviously it's offered through Section 170 of the IRS Code. And maybe let me just set it up for you this way as you're watching this. If you've heard of the idea of, um, you know, the federal government or the government talking about the idea of preservation, right? preservation of uh, protect the birds or protect here or protect this, right? If they want to preserve property, preserve land, that goes all the way to the idea of, hey, we cannot, as the government, do a great job necessarily um, uh, taking care of the properties that we've set up. So we're going to give this as an opportunity to the private sector, and we're going to give some tax advantage to it for those that are involved in it. But I think what we want to start with, Meringue, is when you look at a conservation easement from your perspective, uh, how would you define it? Somebody's talking about what would you say it is? Yeah. So really, at the bottom of it, it's, it's a land preservation tool, right? And, um, you know, it's been around for decades. Mm-hmm. But uh, in 1976, uh, IRS, well, Congress actually provided a tax deduction provision uh, in 1976. And from there, it's been codified and mm -hmm. then amended several times. And uh, really recently, it's been enhanced uh, to from being able to um, really apply it to 30% of your AGI mm -hmm. to then 50% of your AGI. Mm -hmm. Not only that, it provided a 15-year carryover period. Mm -hmm. So, um, and it's been, you know, really ratified by Congress many times um, and with bipartisan support. So yeah. it's been a great uh, program for taxpayers. So let me let me kind of clarify what he just said there when he says 30% or 50% of your AGI. Now it's 50%. What is AGI? Well, it's adjusted gross income, right? And you're in, a, you're in the ability where you can literally uh, deduct up to 50% of your adjusted gross income. So if your adjusted gross income is a million dollars, simple math, by law, we can only reduce income utilizing these strategies. You can only reduce your income by 50%. So a million dollars to 500,000. Uh, and it shows up on the return as an 82-83 non-cash charitable deduction, right? Right. Um, so let's talk about some of these out there because, you know, over the years, Meringue, one of the things that I've seen, is, and, and I think everybody understands and knows, there's good and bad of everything. Sure. Always. And I think there's a lot of CPAs out there. By the way, there's a lot of well-intended people offering advice and information, but unfortunately, they're not necessarily schooled or knowledgeable enough on certain industries. And so I think a lot of uh, folks out there have said, well, you know, I, I've heard of easements, but I, I'm not familiar with them. I'm not comfortable with them. Uh, I, I've read some articles in Forbes or other things yeah. that, that have said these are bad. So let's start there. What sure. has made some of the deals that are out there bad? Yeah. So like any industry, I think you have people that take shortcuts mm -hmm. and don't do their due diligence. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think those are the deals 
that you have seen in the news uh, where IRS highlights uh, these bad syndicated deals, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and rightly so, they should go after those that don't do it right, take shortcuts, do not do the due diligence, mm-hmm. or sometimes even illegal methods. Mm-hmm. And so I say, go after them mm-hmm. because it gives everybody else in the industry a bad name. So. Yeah. But I will tell you when, in 2016, when uh, this 170H policy uh, became a listed transaction with the IRS. Um, listed transaction, as you know, it means uh, it could potentially be a tax shelter kind of vehicle, right? Mm-hmm. So, or tax avoidance vehicle. So when it became listed, I mean, there are a lot of hoops now the issuers, the sponsors have to go through, right, and in, in reporting. So after 2016, the due diligence has become tremendous by the sponsor because they know mm-hmm. without a doubt, 100%, that all of their uh, offerings will be audited. Mm-hmm. It's 100%. Mm-hmm. So if you already know you're being audited, yeah. what kind of due diligence are you going to do? Now, let's make sure because right. you, the consumer, as you're listening to this, when he says the deal will be audited, I want you to know there's been some rules passed, I believe, as I think it was 2018, uh, that, that allowed some protection from the investor itself. So the consumer, right, saying, hey, I want to be a part of this. Um, just if a deal itself gets audited, that doesn't mean that they're going to get audited, right? I mean, the burden of proof has to do with the actual sponsor itself. Correct. Yes. Yeah. The sponsor. Um, so to clarify that, so you're in a place where you say, "Hey, I'm involved in this deal. I'm getting involved, and that's great." But if if they're saying, "Hey, you got a five hundred thousand dollar tax deduction," where did that come from? Well, you, the consumer, you are not the one that has to necessarily prove where that did, the validity of that deduction that goes up the chain to the sponsor, and that's very yeah, important to know. Absolutely, that's a great point because the sponsor is actually the managing partner uh, yeah. within the partnership. So. The sponsor has the responsibility, the obligation uh, to protect investors. Right. And the sponsor, in, in a simple definition, would be the one that is essentially saying, here's an opportunity, investors. Yes. And managing that opportunity, right? Yes. That's yeah. the issuer of the offering. So if somebody said, okay, well, let's talk about this because we got we got easement deals. You know, I've heard of ones that are involved with just land. I've heard of ones that are involved in like uh, mining. I've heard of ones now they're involved in, in solar and all these other things. Uh, what is some of the differentiators between each? And, and, and you were involved with Global Risk Advisors, which is interesting because you came in kind of on the back end. Yeah. Kind of on the, on the, on the, the inside of the deal, underwriting these deals. And we're going to talk in a little bit, talking about the insurance behind it and protecting the asset uh, as far as capital put in. But from your perspective, uh, Meringue, what, what does it look like uh, on the back end to say, what are some of the differences between some of these deals? Sure. So um, with conservation easement, uh, there's several ways that you can actually um, provide that you know, tax deduction. So if you're a landowner and you have land that you want to preserve in mm-hmm. perpetuity, mm-hmm. You, can, uh, you are voluntarily restricting rights to your own property and saying, hey, I won't ever build on this property. Mm-hmm. And, and for that, you get, a, you get the charitable uh, deduction, right, um, for the fair market value of the property that mm-hmm. you have placed a conservation deed on. Mm-hmm. So the important, uh, I think, element to this is that you're not actually giving land to the government. Mm-hmm. You're just placing a conservation deed on your own land and saying, 
I will never build anything on this property. So mm -hmm. if you're a farmer mm -hmm. uh, and you're growing crop or you're raising animals, you can continue to farm. Mm -hmm. You can continue to graze on your property um, and you get the tax deduction because you place a conservation deed on that property. Yeah. Now, if you don't own land, you can still participate. Yeah. So you participate by coming into a partnership through an issuer and you're part owner of that partnership, right? Mm -hmm. So then what, you know, um, IRS says it's a syndicated deal. So mm -hmm. we put, the issuer puts the deal together mm -hmm. and they find land that um, meets conservation purpose. And mm -hmm. they do that not on their own. They bring in a, a conservancy to make sure that that piece of property meets conservation purpose. Mm -hmm. And it has to have that element first before you can actually move into um, providing an offering. Mm -hmm. um, so if, if it, once it meets conservation purpose, then the issuer decides how am I gonna value this piece of property, mm -hmm. right? Which is the big, which is a big piece. Well, that's the big piece, and that's what I think the IRS is kind of really focused on because mm -hmm. the valuation go, can go tremendously. Um, I mean, it can go really, um, really high depending mm -hmm. on how you value that piece of property. So, the best way to value that piece of property is comparables, mm -hmm. right? Like anything else, mm -hmm. it's comps. But it's almost impossible to find comparables of conservation easement sales of the right of the same size, of the same location, mm -hmm. same characteristic. It's nearly impossible. Mm -hmm. So what Congress has allowed is to use the before and uh, after valuation method. And what that employs then is uh, being able to utilize the highest and best use methodology. Mm -hmm. So highest and best use, I'll, I'll just give you an example. Yep. So, you know, you d identify a piece of property and uh, you know that that piece of property, the way, the location um, that, hey, this is a vein where you, you, you'll you hit maybe granite or some other different aggregates, mm -hmm. right? So and under so, the ground, there's right? going to be an aggregate or rock or something. Yeah, that you can mine. Right. Uh, and so what you do is you bring in a mining company to actually conduct bore samples mm -hmm. in, in that property all over it. And then you take that to the lab and they'll tell you how much of these particular, let's say, aggregates are underneath this piece of property mm -hmm. and how deep it goes mm -hmm. just like any mining company would do right and so then you write a business model or feasibility study and you actually bring in a mining company to do a business model for that piece of property uh, to actually mine it so then um, then you take that valuation mm -hmm. of the income that it will generate we'll let's produce. say yeah produce over let's say 10 15 years yeah and you use that appraisal yeah. uh, by a legitimate mining company. Yep. And then you use that fair market value uh, to provide those tax, uh, charitable tax deductions to the, to, the, to the investor. So in simple math, you know, what he's talking about there is the idea of you say, okay, hey, here's a piece of property. It's 300 acres. We've done our due diligence. There's been core uh, samples and studies and and, and boring testing and all these things and saying, okay, what's actually under the dirt? And now we found under the dirt, there's there's this type of mineral or that type of mineral or whatever it may be. And a mining company could come in and mine that, right? Basically take the top off and go mine the dirt or go mine the rock. And if they sold the rock for whatever purpose, the value of that rock inside as they've sold it, doing a real business 
uh, over the course of the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years would be X. But because we're not going to mine that property, right, we're in a, in a place where we're not going to mine it. Now we say, OK, let's take that value of what it would be and integrate that to the value of what we maybe they purchased the, the land for a million dollars. But the value of the rock underneath it is X millions of dollars, right. which gives us a three to four to five or whatever times multiple, which means then for you, the end investor that comes in for every dollar you put in, you might get a three or four or five times multiple as far as tax benefit uh, on your on your savings let's talk about solar that's a little bit different yeah. but how does that work yeah so same kind of concept that's become you know a little yeah. bit newer on the trend but it's it's out there yeah no absolutely same concept so you identify a piece of property and you got to do a lot of due diligence uh, on solar also so you have to really bring in a solar engineering and development firm uh -huh. and being able to identify land that really will give you a great valuation if you were to build a utility-sized solar farm on that property. And uh, I've learned a lot about solar last year, and uh, there's so many factors that go into the valuation, right? So you, you have the federal incentive, you have the state and local incentives, um, you, you have to figure out what the local energy prices are, mm -hmm. uh, who you can sell the energy to, is it a utility company, is it a you know, a broker mm -hmm. uh, that can broker a, a power purchase agreement. Mm -hmm. So um, that's the thing that I really, uh, really wrestle with in, in, in the solar arena. And when I saw that you can, you should, you can get a power purchase agreement mm. from a utility company or energy broker saying, if you purchase, I mean, if you build that uh, solar farm, I will buy that energy off of you for the next 15, 20, 25 years at mm -hmm. this fixed cost. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I don't know. How, how do you how do you argue with that valuation, mm -hmm. right? So, but there's a lot that goes into identifying the right piece of property to yeah. build a solar farm for the valuation um, that maybe you know issuer is seeking. The idea is due diligence. Do your due diligence. Do your due diligence. And if you're an investor out there or somebody that's a higher income earner and you're saying, you know, I don't, what does this all look like? How does this work? I mean, is this is this even right for me? I don't know. Does it fit into your situation? Uh, I'm going to challenge you really to reach out. The sponsors of this show, you may know, in my other hats, we have several different companies, great teams, Wall Private Wealth, U.S. Private Wealth. And probably the simplest way I'm going to challenge you, quick pause, is reach out to the sponsors there. All you got to do is head over to leanonthewall.com. Again, leanonthewall.com, and they will be able to direct you to or just inquire, direct you to an advisor to kind of help walk through some opportunity there for you specifically. Evaluate your situation. Does this work? Do you have enough income? Is there a way that you might be able to save a couple hundred thousand dollars plus potentially in taxes? Uh, again, leanonthewall.com to connect with some the sponsors of the show here to learn more about that. Marang, let me talk let me talk to you about this. So you've had some conversation with the commissioner of the IRS uh, about these deals and these structures. And what does the IRS, you know, cuz everybody out there, right? They're like, "Oh, I, I want to save money in taxes," <laughs> but they're CPAs and they themselves are always worried about being audited and all that kind of thing. And I think at the end of the day, my sentiment over the years is, listen, as long as we're following the rules, and as long as we're doing things correctly, uh, we really don't have to worry about anything. And there's a lot, there's so much case law now and an actual study that's been done around these easement structures right. that if they are designed correctly, the IRS, even though they've taken some of these to tax law and tax court, in a lot of ways, they've kind of 
taking a bath. Yeah. Uh, on a lot of these cases, they've lost time and time and time and time and time and time and time again if they've been done correctly. And again, that's not uh, anything that the investor themselves has to worry about. They get involved in a deal. Uh, it's really the sponsors. They're taking all the brunt of this, so the investor themselves doesn't have to worry about these details. But what is some of the sentiment from the IRS that you're hearing, at least from the commissioner recently? Yeah. So uh, just to clarify, I had the, the conversation with the deputy commissioner oh. and, and his executive staff yeah, uh, up you. in D.C. But um, And I also, before that, I had a conversation with uh, you know the heads of the IRS in Atlanta um, because- yeah. I have a unique uh, lens into the IRS because I work with them, right? Uh, they were my partners. <laughs> yeah. And I will tell you that, um, you know. By the way, not many people, Morang, would yeah. say, hey, I partnered with the IRS yeah, and enjoyed yeah. it. <laughs> no, absolutely. No, I, I totally understand that, especially in this industry. But I have a different perspective of the IRS. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the people that I work with uh, were tremendous people mm -hmm. that um, love what they're doing and would have made a lot more money if they worked in the private sector. So uh, I have a lot of respect for the IRS, and I know different people have different, um, you know, um, I guess, experiences with them. But for me, um, I have a lot of respect for them. And so before I even jumped into this business, I visited with the IRS in Atlanta because um, some of them were my friends and um, kind of explained to them. I just wanted to know, what is it? Why are you guys so intense on and scrutinizing these deals because I'm on the other end mm. doing the same thing from an underwriting perspective and seeing these deals, I mean, going above and beyond the policy. Mm -hmm. So really uh, what I got back from them is, you know, it's, it's their listed transactions, so mm -hmm. they're gonna scrutinize all of them, right? Yeah, right. So to your point, if they're done right yeah. with, the, uh, with the best of due diligence and and really the professional third-party vendors that you use and reputable that you really don't have anything to worry about, yeah. right? Yeah. And so um, I think one of the reasons why I agreed to come on the show, when I asked you, Michael, hey, what's the most important thing to you mm. in these uh, deals? And you said some to the effect of the risk. Mm -hmm. So that told me that you were looking out for your investors, and mm -hmm. that was the most important thing to you. Mm -hmm. And so this, um, you know, I think this conversation and the due diligence is critical, I think, um, you know, with investors and, and people that are referring um, these kinds of offerings to their clients. So mm -hmm. I will tell you, the things that you need to look out for um, in these offerings. Well, before we jump to that, because yeah. you're going to package it up sure. in a nice little bow, but sure. I, I want to get there yet. So yeah. we're, I want to move to with Meringue. We're going to talk about the three keys right now, the three keys that you need to be looking at. If you want to if you want to potentially get into an, in, into some of these deals, obviously it's got to be right for you. And, and again, I want to challenge you, Meringue, obviously now CEO of uh, Envia Capital and um, is a sponsor. I love what you told me earlier. I wrote it down. And via means in Latin, the way, yeah. which I love because of your, I think, believe because of some of your genesis, your faith, where you're coming from. But <clears throat> at the end of the day, um, the key to all of this stuff, as you're listening to this, right? I think what happens so often is, is that investors, uh, people can run to different deals. I want to go do this. I want to go do that. I want to jump into this. I want to jump into that. And they don't really have a comprehensive plan, whether it be around their their true tax structure. You might say, well, I have a CPA. Well, that's wonderful. But a lot of CPAs are terrific people. But unfortunately, they live and show up as historians. What did you do last year? What did you make? What did you give? 
to church or organizations, charitable, nonprofit, etc. And then so that way you know what you're going to get back or what you're going to have to pay. And so what we want to do is we want to be proactive in the process. And uh, it's very, very important to say, what does this look like and does this apply to me? Again, I want to challenge you. If you got questions, head over to our sponsors, uh, Wall Private Wealth, U.S. Private Wealth, by heading over to leanonthewall.com to learn about your specific situation to say, is this right for me? So, Meringue, let's jump in. And I want to talk to you, and I'd love your feedback on just what we said, the three keys. So what are three or maybe four, if you want to give us sure. a bonus, keys of some things people need to be looking at? They yeah. say, okay, I've heard about easements. I've heard about these as an opportunity, but I'm not sure exactly why or what. What are three keys that, from your perspective, you've had a back office lens, you've helped research these deals. Um, what are three keys people need to be thinking about if they're looking at an easement structure to say, these are the three things you want to look at to make sure this is a quality deal, it's well-researched and vetted well? Yeah. Yeah. I, great question. So when you're looking at these offerings, um, you have to ensure that the due diligence is done well, right? So as an investor, you may have a hard time understanding what that is. So you have to rely on people that are recommending uh, these offerings and ask the questions, hey, you know, tell me about the due diligence that mm -hmm. was done on this offering, mm -hmm. right? Um, so, um, due diligence and the second thing is really um the sponsor knowing that they're going to get audited in mm -hmm. this partnership mm -hmm. they should have reserves audit reserves mm -hmm. in the proper amount where you're pretty ensured that you're never going to have a capital call you're mm -hmm. never going to call the investors and say hey we ran out of money with audit you know defense so I need some more money from you, right? That's yeah. the last thing you want to do as right. an issuer. So, And so when he's talking about audit reserves, I just want to make sure that you understand that. That's the sponsor. That's the company that you're involved with that's created this deal for you. And they have 500000 a million, $2 million, whatever, just sitting in reserve. Again, knowing that this deal is going to get audited. And again, that audit word, the big A word, yeah. we'll call it, you know, to a lot of CPAs, they say, whoa, I don't want to do that. But again, that is not you, the investor. That is the sponsor, okay? So you, the investor, is not involved in that process of the audit of the deal. <clears throat> and so what happens is it's actually a healthy thing. The IRS is coming in and saying, hey, let me, let me look at your due diligence. Let me look at your details. Let me look at how this is set up. And so you want the sponsor to be in a place where they're saying, okay, we're preparing for this audit, and we have enough cash reserves ready to pay for attorneys and everything else necessary right. to go through that. So that way we can come through uh, in, a, in a way that we can say, okay, we've, we've done our diligence. We've went through the audit. We came through it clean, and here's what it looked like. But we have the cash set aside in advance in the deal. So that way there's no capital calls, which is important. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, so, again, that's a way that you're looking after your investors. Yeah. Um, on top of that, so you have the audit reserves. And by the way, is there yeah. a typical number that you've seen is a, is a great number to have uh, for the sponsor to set aside? Yeah, I think we uh, doing the underwriting and uh, speaking with some of the attorneys that represented the sponsors in the past feel like a half a million dollars. Mm hmm. Um, you, that's a sufficient, num sufficient amount of money, uh, to reserve mm -hmm. for audit. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, in addition to that, you know, what, uh, many spot now, I wouldn't say many, what so some of the sponsors will do, they will get additional insurance on excess, right? So, Hey, you have $500,000, you run out of that money 
uh, we insure you to have another half a million dollars in, in audit defense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, that's a way to, again, protect your investors. Mm -hmm. um, some, some sponsors go above and beyond, and they'll get insurance on the original investor's principal. Mm -hmm. So if everything goes to zero for mm -hmm. whatever reason, mm -hmm. and the IRS says, we value this as zero, mm -hmm. then you, at least as an investor, because the sponsor uh, you know, obtained that insurance, mm -hmm. 170H insurance policy, that you'll, you'll get your original principal back. Mm -hmm. So that's another way to really uh, protect your investors. So the three things that I see here you saying is number one, due diligence. Make sure the due diligence on the deal from the sponsor is done very well. And yes. understand that a little bit. Again, you the investor, you're not gonna know all the details of that. That's where you want people around you that understand this space. They've done it before. Um, and by the way, if you're in a place where you're connecting with somebody through an investment perspective, an advisor or a CPA, whatever, and they're like, well, this is the first time I've done that. Uh, I don't think I necessarily want to jump out of the plane with somebody that's the first time they've jumped out of the plane. Right. right. You want you want somebody that has actually done this for some time. Uh, and that's why I keep referring to the sponsors of this show, because at Wall Private Wealth and U.S. Private Wealth, we've been helping families for years there wearing other hats through these deals. We've done a lot of research around these. So that's number one. Make sure your diligence is done well. Number two, make sure the sponsor has audit reserves. Very important. It's going to get audited. Nothing that you, the investor, should be worrisome about because it's part of the process, right? It'd be like going in and saying, I'm going to go to the dentist. I don't necessarily love going to the dentist, but the, one of the benefits of going to the dentist is, and I need to do it more, by the way. My <laughs> wife's like, you need to whiten your teeth. You need to do this. All this stuff, right? I'm like, you're right. I hate the dentist too. But the benefit is your teeth are healthier. They live longer. You have less teeth falling out. You don't look like you know, some weirdo walking down the street. So make sure that there's enough money there and audit reserves. It's going to happen. It's part of the deal. And that's on the sponsor's end, not you, the investor. And number three, make sure, if possible, that the deal has insurance uh, that is essentially backing up your capital. Let me talk about what that looks like. And Meringue, you can correct me if I'm wrong. But it's the idea of, let's say you, the investor, say, hey, this makes sense. You've had uh, someone help you along the way, and you're putting $100,000 into a particular deal to get a, let's say, $450,000 or $500,000 ordinary income deduction. Well, you can do the math on that. Say, okay, if I put hundred grand in, and, and I'm at the federal reserve, I'm at the federal level, right, of 37%. Uh, let's just round it up to 40 because you might have some state taxes as well on your ordinary income. So now you're at 450,000. Let's make it 500 to make the math simple of ordinary income deduction. Well, that means that you technically would not have to pay taxes on $500,000. What well, 40%, your tax number would be $200,000 in taxes of real tax dollars that you would send to the IRS and state and local potentially uh, in, in taxation. So now that $200,000 in taxes that you would have had to pay because you put $100,000 in the deal, you would not have to pay those taxes. And so technically, you put $100,000 in and you got a $200,000 ordinary income tax break, real tax savings that you would have saved. And in that scenario, if you think about it, Meringue, that's a put in $100,000 to get $200,000 of tax savings. That's kind of a no-brainer uh, if you look at it that way. The question is, is with the insurance, as I talked about, the $100,000 that you put in, you would literally be in a place where, God forbid, if the, the, the deal got audited and, and it came through that the valuations weren't valid or whatever it may be, that 100000 would be protected or backed up by insurance. That's the third key. Uh, so you get your capital back. The third key that, that you're talking about, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Any other color that you would add to that? 
Yeah, I think part of the due diligence, you have to ensure that the issuer is using reputable third parties, right? So mm. particularly- As far as valuation. Well, yeah, particularly with the appraiser. Yeah. And the conservancy. So the conservancy has to be very reputable. Mm-hmm. Um, no issues, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the appraiser. So mm-hmm. those are two key third parties that you need to ensure that they're very reputable organizations. And that's important. And let me kind of put this in layman's terms for you. That'd be like you trying to sell your home and you have a brother-in-law that you know it's a good friend that just so happens to be an appraiser and every single home in your area has been selling for two million dollars that's similar to your home but your brother-in-law is like you know i really like you i'm going to put a valuation of 3.5 million on your house but it's not real it's not it's not practical it's not provable that's what we're talking about making sure that you have uh people that are reputable giving you real appraisals that are valid that can be really backed up and stand the test of time in a lot of ways. And again, as I've said a couple of times, and I want to encourage you to, if you've got questions about this, you may say, well, this is complicated. I'm not sure exactly what this looks like. Well, that's why you need people coming alongside you, helping you on your journey to determine whether or not this is correct. And that's why I want to challenge you to reach out to our sponsors at leanonthewall.com. Again, leanonthewall.com, and then request more information. We can have someone actually reach out to you and walk you through what this looks like. Now, by the way, I would say, Meringue, somebody that's looking at this, okay, who is who is the right person looking at some of these um, significant tax savings? I would say if you're not making at least $500,000 a year or more, this may not be the right deal for you. If, if you're making 500000 to 800000 to a million to a couple million dollars a year in income, this is probably a good deal for you, potentially. If you're in a place where you are, uh, maybe you have a lot of IRA money, right? You have millions of dollars in an IRA that was in a 401k that rolled to an IRA, and you're saying, I want to look for ways to potentially convert this uh, to to a Roth IRA because I want to be in a place where I think taxes are going to go up in the future. Well, this is an opportunity where as you convert your IRA to a Roth, many of you may know when you convert your IRA, that's going to show up as ordinary income. It's going to show up as OI on the return, right? So we want to say, how can I reduce the taxes I'm going to be paying on that? Now, you might say, well, geez, I make more than you know, the, 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 the Roth minimum, but you can still convert to Roth and then use some strategy as you bring it. So this is another way that we can be looking at using strategy around the structure. Murray, any last things that you want to say about these deals that I think are important? No, to that point, uh, you do have to be an accredited investor yes. um, to invest in these. That's, yep. exa- that's a great point. Yep. So accredited investor, you got to be in a place where you're making a certain income, obviously, or you have to have a certain level of investable assets in order to even apply for this. Typically, that number uh, lives around 1.2 million or so of investable assets and, and income is a couple hundred thousand a year. But again, if you got questions, head over to leanonthewall.com to connect with somebody directly. Morang, thank you so much. Thank for you. For taking some time to be on this show. No, absolutely. Wonderful story, wonderful history. And again, if you want to get Morang's back house story of who he is as a person, some of his experience at the FBI, the agency, uh, what it looks like to live with integrity in that process, head over to the Michael Wall Show, another show that I have, the Michael Wall Show podcast to unpack some of his personal story. As always, listen, our goal is to share ideas and information to you that's going to help you in life, not only kind of look at what you can do to maximize the wealth that you've earned. But remember, you may say, geez, I've never heard of this before. That's okay. A lot of people don't know what they want because they don't 
know what's available. And that's one of the reasons that we do this show. We want to talk about ideas and information and strategy that you may not have heard of before to make it, you aware of these things and say, okay, is this something that I should be participating in? Maybe, maybe not. you got to look through and see if it's right. But again, you don't know uh, necessarily what's right sometimes until you find the information necessary. That's why we do this. So if you got questions, again, head over to the sponsors, leanonthewall.com. As always, we appreciate you joining in, tuning in. And if you know folks that are making a bunch of money, hey, listen, and they're paying too much in taxes, do they want to pay a lot of money in taxes? Probably not. Share this show with them. Make them make aware of some of the things that are available. And as always, my desire is to challenge you to live on purpose so you can live with purpose. That's how we change the world. Be blessed. Have a good one. Talk to you soon. Keep in mind, the information shared on this show is not to be considered investment advisory advice. For specific recommendations based on your situation, make sure you reach out to a professional, whether it be financial, accounting, tax, attorney, or whatever you may need to help you find the information necessary to make good decisions.